The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning. As you're kind of sitting down, if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 16 this morning. We're going to be reading Exodus 16, verse 1, all the way through Exodus 17, verse 7. So stick with me. All right, Exodus 16, 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily." So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth, uh, the tenth part of an ephah. Chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, my name is Miguel Warren, and uh-oh. and if some of you all haven't met me, I've met some of you, but uh, I'm the director of community, and uh, also my family and I are uh, new to Park, of course, and I bring greetings from the uh, Chiefs Kingdom, Chiefs Nation. Um, but hey, you have to love me because as believers, we're obligated to do that in spite of it. So if you don't, it's not me. You have a problem with the Lord, not me. Uh, the Lord made us all different, different tribes, tongue, and nation, and I am a chief's nation. No, but anyways, um, it's good to be with you all today. And uh, one thing I want to say is thank you so much for welcoming my family and I. Um, you guys have been beyond generous. Your hearts has been loving. Um, you guys have not only just loved us with your words, but also with your actions. And for that, I say thank you so much. And because I know that Park is such a welcoming and a hospitable uh, uh, um, church and always want to be, uh, make people feel like community, um, I have one request here. 
I come from, where I come from, we talk back to each other, all right? And so real quick, I know Pastor Brandon Washington uh, 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 briefed y'all about a couple years ago, but here's this. When something is good to you, you say amen, all right, man? So if it's say the Lord is good, you will say all right, there you go. And again, if you don't know how to, if you don't want to say anything, just move back and forth and just rock and just hump. Mm, yeah. Mm. You know that one when you hit your toe on the bed and you just want to, mm, you can't say nothing, but you just got a groan on the inside. That's exactly what uh, we need you to do. But in all seriousness, no, um, let's go before the uh, Lord and hear what he has to say today. Uh, let's pray. God, you are good. And you're good because there's none like you. And in spite of the way we live, in spite of the things we do, Father, yet you still love us all the more. God, I just pray that as we get into your word today, that you will be glorified, God. I pray that the presence of you will be felt here, Lord, to know that your word is not void. Your word is living and active, Father. We're not here just to hear a good uh, 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 pep talk, Father, but yet your word changes lives for eternity. And so because it does, Father, I pray that you open our hearts, Father. Help us receive what it is that you have to say, God. God, I'm so thankful, Father, that, that I am weak because your word says where I am weak, where we are weak, your power is made strong, Lord. So I pray that as we sit in your text today, Father, protect our hearts, protect our minds, Father. Help us understand what it is that you want us to know, Father. And I pray that when we leave here, God, we will leave knowing that your presence is here right now with us and it will be with us when we depart from this place. God, hide me behind the cross. I pray that they will look at you, Father, knowing that I'm just a preacher proclaiming thus says the Lord. And I pray, Father, that if you don't do anything else that we know one thing, that you are the most faithful and trusted God there ever is or will be. And we all together said, amen. So Sierra and I, we have three kids. And our oldest boy is five, so he knows what's going on in life. He, he has a sense of what's going on. He can articulate his desires, his wants, kind of what he likes, what he doesn't like. And me and my wife, um, not only on Christmas and not only on birthday, but we try to give him what he wants and even what he needs. But it's not even just on those special days of occasion. It's throughout the year where we're constantly giving him what he wants and giving him his needs and taking care of him. But it's something about when we go to Target <laughs> that right before we get out the car, we tell him, hey, Trey, we're not getting anything today. We're not getting anything. We're going to go in here. We're going to get what we need to get, and that's what we're going to do. And he goes, okay, Daddy, I understand. I understand. But lo and behold, as we're going through Target, somewhere along the journey, his heart just starts having a little shifting going on. And now he's starting to say, hey, well, can I have this? 
Oh, daddy, can I have that? He even gets to the point where he tries to reroute where we're going because I intentionally don't go by the toy section. He's like, daddy, no, 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 we need to go down here. And it's all innocent. He's like, I just want to look at something. I just want to see something. But what happens is that it goes along the way. It escalates even more. Now it's not he just want to look at something. And then he, he's, he, when we tell him, hey, you can't have that, his heart starts to complain. He starts to get upset because he can't have what he wants. He even goes to the link to start saying, hey, well, my friends have this. Well, why can't I have this? All the while forgetting that we just bought him something a month ago, a week ago, get this, maybe even several hours ago. But he is upset and he's hurt because he can't have what he wants in spite of me and my wife telling him, hey, this is not what we're doing today. This is what we're going for and this is where we're going. But if we're honest, many of us are like that with God. God sits here. He provides for us all the time. Many of us have homes. We have food in our refrigerator. He gives us jobs. We have spouses. We have family. He gives us air to breathe. And yet sometimes when life gets hard, because we don't have what we want and the way we want it, we start to grumble. And at the core of it, we grumble because we think that God is holding out on us. We forget all that he has done, just even the hours and the moments before. But yet our minds come up with this uh, idea that, hey, why is God holding out on me? And again... Many of us approach life that way with grumbling because we think we know better than God. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever had moments like that? Many of us probably came in today like that. But today's text, what we're going to see here is we're going to see the people of Israel, they continue to grumble and encounter, uh, continue to grumble in the wilderness. And the purpose of today's text is for us to see that God leads his people into the wilderness to test their hearts, to shape their hearts, and to test their faith, to know that, hey, he is God alone and that we are to depend on him alone. A simple sentence to put this uh, sermon is, it says, in the wilderness, there is place, this is a place where God wants to grow your faith. And the truth is, we're all in the wilderness. We're in the wilderness until Christ comes back, or until we go home to the Lord, whichever one happens first. And what we're going to, as we examine this text, we're going to see three movements here. We're going to see uh, in the wilderness, there is a temptation to grumble about our situation. In the wilderness, there's an opportunity to trust God's provision. And in the wilderness, there is Jesus. 
So just to catch you up to speed, what has happened so far is that you have these, uh, the, the people of Israel have been in slavery for 400 plus years. God delivers them. He sends Moses to help deliver them. They go, God sends 10 plagues upon them, and then eventually Pharaoh surrenders and he frees them. God leads them uh, uh, into the wilderness. They come upon the Red Sea, splits the Red Sea. They cross through, kills their enemies. Now all of a sudden they pass through there, they're praising God, they're singing God. Then all of a sudden they come to a place where now you got bitter waters. But God is gracious enough to turn the bitter waters sweet. And then now after they leave there, not only did that, they went and camped somewhere in Elam for a while that had 12 palm trees and 70, uh, 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 over 70 springs of well. It was abundant, it was a great place. Now they leave there and here they are in the wilderness of sin. And what happens is we come upon the second test. But let me explain here, what, what is a wilderness? It's very important for us to understand, right? We've talked about this time, we said at the time, here is what a wilderness is. The wilderness is a place where, again, as I said, where God tests his people to grow their faith, to produce endurance, and for him to depend on him alone. We have to understand something about this wilderness, though, that Israel is in, okay? It is simply not a desert. It's not just sand blowing everywhere. Right? It's not just, just uh, sand there and just a palm tree here and there. Rather, it is a marginal geographical path uh, um, that cannot provide sufficient means to sustain a long-term life. Okay? So understand, don't think of just sandy dust. There's a little bit there, but it's not to sustain them. That's why you see them in this passage, they're starting to grumble about food. But to translate that over to 2019, here's what the wilderness is for us. The wilderness are the moments in life where human resources are not sufficient enough to sustain you or get you through. The wilderness is not about your comfort. It's not about your wants. It is all about God shaping your heart and putting our faith in him and having total dependence upon him. And the truth is, many of us try to escape the wilderness, right? We try, we try to use our human means. We say, if I can just get this, or if I can just do that, then all of this situation, whatever I'm feeling, will pass away. But we have to understand, the reason why human means are not sufficient enough is because the wilderness is all spiritual. God is after your hearts. He's not after your possessions. And again, going through the wilderness is not fun. It hurts. It's painful sometimes. It's lonely. But here's the good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it lets us know that, hey, guess what? Whenever you are tempted, whenever you are tested, God always provides a way out. So as you're in the wilderness, are you trusting in God or are you trusting in yourself? So let's look at this first movement. In the wilderness, there is a temptation to grumble about our situation. Look at verse 2 with me here. It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel gathered against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt? When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, you have brought us 
out, of the, out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We have to understand here, this isn't the first time that the people start to grumble. They grumbled actually in chapter 14 when they was passing through the wilderness, uh, passing through the uh, Red Sea. We see that they grumbled in chapter 15 about the bitter waters, and they grumble here. And then we also see that they grumble in chapter 17, part of our text, verse 2 and 3. In this passage right here that we have, 16 to 17, 7, you see the word grumbling mentioned eight times. This is letting us know that this is not a small matter. Anytime you see something repeated over and over again, you got to understand, hey, there's something big here going on. And God is showing out, hey, this grumbling that we do, that Israel do, hey, it is sin. We say, what is grumbling? Well, grumbling is making a complaint, right? Or even complaining uh, with noise underneath your breath. Sometimes we complain even though nobody can see it. There's something internal about us that has a problem with our situations. See, grumbling is a discontentment made audible. It's the heart contempt that escapes through the mouth. Psalms 106 tells us that this grumbling is a strong craving for what we don't have and we grow restless. The reason the Israelites grumble is because they wanted food sooner than God's timing. And what it is is that they wanted that more than God. And that's what we do in our life if we're honest. When we don't like what's going on, we have an issue because whatever this is, we want it more than to experience the all-power, all-sufficient Savior that we have in God. What happens is that grumbling, it, it, it comes from our desires, and our desires lead to expectations, and then our expectations lead to our rights. Which oftentimes, what we see here to Israel, they are confessing that, hey, we want this, not you, God. And to be honest, this is often when we grumble, it is often the source of our discontentment, right where we're at. Ask yourself this question. What are you wanting more right now than God's will? What craving has become more important than God's word? See, grumbling is not an external problem. No, no, see, 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 grumbling is all about in here. It is an internal issue. It is a heart issue. And what happens is that when we grumble, it causes us to lose sight of who God is and what he is trying to do. See, grumbling is the voice of unbelief. It's a lack of faith in God. All we see is the physical. We see the right now. We see the pain. We see the discomfort. Forgetting that God is testing us and brought us out for a reason so that he can grow and shape our faith and so that we can see the goodness and glory power of God work in our life. 
See, when we grumble, what happens is that we forego listening to the voice of God, and then we start listening to our voices or other voices. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. Look what it says. It says, saying, if you will diligently listen, say listen. Listen to the voice of who? The voice of who? Your God. And do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandment and keeping all of his statutes. See, what happens is God tells us to listen to his voice. But yet we don't listen to it and we listen to other people's voices and now we have a problem. Think about this. It wasn't just like 10 people in the wilderness. You're talking about millions of people. Millions of people that are passing through that God is leading them. And somehow what happens is that, this, let's think about this. It spreads. They didn't just grumble on instinct. What happens is that with millions of people, they're sitting over here, they playing the telephone game. They're sitting over here saying, hey, man, what's going on? I'm hungry. You got some more food? No, I ain't got no. This is for me. Ah. Oh. Hey, you got some food? And now all of a sudden they start grumbling and they start having an issue. And they're like, hey, what's going on? I don't have food. Some of these have food. Hey, God, why is he bringing us out of here again? What's up with this? And what happens is that grumbling spreads faithlessness. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that this ain't the first time we've seen the text that grumbling happens. No, actually grumbling happened back in the Garden of Eden. What happened was Satan whispered those simple words, did God really say? And then at that moment, Adam and Eve sat there and they said, hey, why is it that we can't have this? And yet God simply, they had a whole garden, a whole garden. All of their needs were met. The provision was there. And Satan whispered those simple words. Hey, did he really say? And at that moment, they made a decision and said, hey, I want this more than what God actually created and provided for me to have. So don't look at it. This is the first time grumbling. No, that's always been from the very beginning. And that's what happens on this journey. Somebody in Satan comes up, hey, you really going to let that happen? How's that feel? You see them over there? They got that. You've been working hard. Why didn't you get that promotion? Then all of a sudden, think of it. When life happens, have you ever been going through a situation where you kind of feel good, right? You're like, look here, this is a hard situation. I'm in the wilderness. This is a test. And you're like, God, this is hard. And you're doing well, right? You're praying, you're, you're worshiping, you're trying to count it all joy, you're doing everything that you, that you learned, right? And you're singing hymns and songs, and then all of a sudden you encounter somebody and start having a conversation, and in the midst of that conversation, something just ignites and rises up in you, and all of a sudden, now you are upset, you're mad, you're angry, you're frustrated, and now you're grumbling, all because... During that conversation, you decided in there, we decided to shift our gaze upon God, to shift in our gaze on our situation and what he is not doing versus then what he is actually trying to do.
And when you look at this, the truth is, here's the thing. The wilderness is all about testing. And here's the thing. The test is going to take place. So it's not a matter of, should I just sit there and do nothing at all? Because the test is going to happen. Okay? You don't me Look at verse 4, chapter 16. Look what he says. He says, and then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. That I may what? What's that word right there? That I may what? Whether they will walk in my law or not. Whether you're going to listen to him or not. There is no in between. There is no just sitting there. There is no let me hope that time passes. We're either going to make a decision. I am going to walk and trust in God's provision and what he has or I am not. And so when you go through these wilderness, there's a, you have to make a, there's a decision. There is a choice that has to happen. Am I going to trust him or not? Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 through 18, it, it tells us, hey, don't grumble. He says here, it's, it's, I'll read it to you. He says, do all things, all things without grumbling or dispute that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Here's something here. When you grumble, and do you know people are watching you? It's amazing how, when, how many people have you encountered where you sit here and say, hey, I'm not fooling with church folk. They, uh, there's something about them that's going on. Look, how, look at them. They're mean. They're evil. They're not nice. Because here's the thing. Whether you like it or not, the world is watching. The text tells us here. So we shouldn't grumble so that when people look at us, they can see the glory of God. That's why the Bible says, let your work so shine before man so that they can glorify your Father in heaven. But then he goes on in Philippians here. He says, that, uh, because you're in the midst of a crooked, uh, a cr- uh, crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. Wow. You shine as lights in the world. Here it is. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hold fast to the word of God when you get, when you know testing. What does it look like to hold fast to God's word when life hits? What you got to do is use some, hold on to God's word. Look at this. I'll just give you a few. Psalms 103, 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. James 1 says, consider it all joy. God, this is tough. This is tough. I don't like this. This is hard. But your word says, consider it all joy. Psalms 46, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Lord, help me. Help us. Hey, and I don't want to present here like grump, like we're supposed to be happy-go-lucky, right? It never feels good to go through tests. I don't care what it is. When I was in college and I go through two days and we had a test, a conditioning test, that was horrible. But I had to go through it. Oh, yes, we get to have a conditioning test today. No, that, this is about to suck. <laughs> this is about to suck. But here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying suppress your feelings and your emotions. That's not what I'm saying because then that wouldn't be humanistic of us. Then we will try to be, then it, 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 that's not how God created us. But what I am saying is that understand that our emotions do not have any intellect, right? So therefore, we should not be led and moved by our emotions. Jesus was a perfect example. Listen, Jesus went into the Garden of Eden. I mean, not the Garden of Eden. Oh, he was there. That is true. But Jesus went into the Garden. 
He went into the garden right before Gethsemane, right before he went to the cross, and he was honest with God. Hey, let this cup pass from me. Uh-uh, I know what I'm getting ready to endure. Let this cup pass from me. But look at his heart. He said, but your will, not my will. And when you're in the wilderness, it's going to be hard, and you're going to be like, God, I really don't want to do this, but we have to have our heart postures and say, hey, God, not my will, but your will. Grumbling doesn't draw us near to the power of God. It actually uh, pushes us away from experiencing the power of God because grumbling is sin. And when we sin, it's hard and we cannot experience the, uh, all that God has for us and wants to do for us. But let's look at here in the text here. Let's look at a few things on on the people of Israel, they show us what grumbling can cause us to do. Hey, see, grumbling can cause, well, here's what grumbling causes us to do. It causes us to forget. All of a sudden, now we got selective memory. We, they just, they just experienced probably the greatest, one of, outside of saving and dying on the cross, one of the greatest acts ever. Listen, the sea parted. The sea. The ground was dry. Millions of people came through. Nobody died. The enemies did. They just experienced something supernatural here, and yet they forgot that. He just turned bitter water sweet. They were just living it up. Palm trees everywhere. Water springs flow. they like, life is good. And now all of a sudden, when things get hard, it's like, well, wait, wait a minute. God, you, what's going on? We forget. We have selective memory. We're tempted to go back or look to where we came from. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says here in chapter 16, it says, And the people said to them, would, you have, uh, would we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and bread full? <laughs> they hated that place. And all of a sudden now, because they're grumbling, they're like, hey, this wasn't too bad here now. And if we're honest, we do the same thing. We're like, well, maybe if I had the life that I had before, or if I went back to when I was in bondage, it causes us to forget. Get this. We, uh, grumbling causes us to doubt God's protection. Look at, uh, he said at the end of verse 3, he goes, For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, and uh, this whole assembly with hunger. Look at chapter 17, verse 3. Look what he says in chapter 17, verse 3. He says, why did you bring us out to Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? See, we automatically assume the worst. Grumbling causes us to doubt God's protection. We come to the conclusion, hey, man, he just, he just, he gave it up on us. And we're complaining about what God is doing in our lives. Here's the thing. We're complaining about what God is doing in our lives with this testing and somehow we think it's harmful. We don't have a harmful God. He's compassionate, merciful. He is just. But we don't have a get him God. He's just out to get you for the sake of his pleasure. That's not who he is. They doubt God's presence. Look at verse 7, uh, verse seven in chapter 17. They doubt God's presence. Is the Lord among us or not? Where is he at? 
all the while forgetting that in chapter 13, God, hey, he's a pillar a fire at night and a cloud by day. He's there with them. Now all of a sudden they're, lack, they're, they're, they're doubting what, what is going on. All because they don't have what they want. And we ask the question sometimes if we're honest, hey God, where are you? Where you at? I need you. But the truth is, the reason why we sometimes we even uh, we ask um, where God is is because we equate God's presence with his blessings in our well-being. When things are great, God is good all the time. We're like, God is ever-present. He's here. He's all good. God is awesome. And then all of a sudden, when things get hard, now we're questioning if God is even present at all. And we know that's not true because God is omnipresent. Psalms, Psalms 139 tells us, hey, whether you go to the heavens, whether you go to the Sheol, no matter where you go, I am with you. Wow. And look at this. I want to look, look at verse 9, uh, verse 9 in chapter 16. This is awesome. Look at this. You question God's presence. This is awesome. Then Moses says to the then Moses said to Aaron, uh, Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord appeared. Whoa. Sometimes when we're in the wilderness, we need to have a little bit of errands in our lives. Where Aaron sit here and say, hey, come here, come here. We need to be right, direct. Hey, come near to the Lord. Not when things are good, right in the wilderness. Hey, come near to the Lord. And look at this. The text says that they looked in the wilderness, not out of the wilderness, but they looked in the wilderness and the presence of the Lord appeared. He's with us. Emmanuel, God, with us. So we can't, we, we, again, grumbling causes us to doubt God's presence. He's always there. Remember, he's leading them into the wilderness. The wilderness is a test to grow our faith, to grow their faith, to depend on him. He's there. It also, grumbling also causes, uh, here, we demand God's provision. Look what it says in chapter 17, verse 2. It says, give us water to drink. It's a sin because they're demanding from God's provision. They're not asking. They're not waiting on the Lord. They're insisting, hey, come right now. Give us something to drink. Hey, listen, when my kids demand something, listen, <laughs> I got to let them know, hey, who are you talking to? <laughs> and get this, even though I'm old now, let me talk a little sideways to my mother, my father. Like, Boy, because why, hey, listen, don't, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. <laughs> Straight up. So, they, hey, give us something. They're demanding it. They're insisting to have their way. 
And get this, we do the same thing. We complain, whether we're at work, whether we're in the church, whether we're at home. We're sitting on, hey, God, come on, move. Think about this. You're talking about a God that cannot be measured with a tape. The God that sat here and put the universe in, uh, in, in place because he spoke from his very mouth. The one who painted the cosmos as beautiful and elegantly that we would ever see. And we got the nurse to tell him, hey, come on, give us. That's grumbling causes us to have that heart posture there. But we look at here. Let me ask you, who are you dependent on in the wilderness? Who are you dependent on? In the wilderness, there's an opportunity to trust God's provision. Let's look at this. We know that God's provision here is supernatural. It says in verse 4, when he says, tell the most, behold, I'm about to raise bread from heaven. We see in verse 11 through 13, God sits here and causes this bread to come here. And notice he tells him to go out and get it. Understand, they did work in the sense of going to go get what he provided. But the reality of it is, is that it came without them working for it. He supernaturally provided for them. It even talks about how in Psalm 78, it says that um, uh, he rained meat on them like dust and dust and, and winged birds like the sand of the sea. And understand, he didn't do this because to, to, to satisfy them. He, do the, he did this and he provides supernaturally for his glory and to show that he is God and not them. We see that God's uh, provision is sufficient. It is sufficient. He says in verse 8 of chapter 16, he says, Hey, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread, get this, to the full. He then says in 16 verse 18, he says, Hey, gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat. And the people did so, and they gathered, some less, some more, but when they measured it, when they measured it, there was nothing left over, and, whenever, uh, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. Here's something God provides sufficiently. And when you're looking at the text, he tells them, gather it, measure an omer out, and then they disperse it, whether you gather little or not, so that everyone in there can eat. And the reason why God provided their needs is because they sat there and they were obedient and because they were sharing. Whether you got a little bit, you got a lot. There's something about the body of Christ that when we share, God has intended to create us so that we can help and take care of each other's need. God's provides for us sufficiently through other people. I'm sure you all have testimonies where you experience somebody coming through when you least expect it because of the goodness of God. And then we see that God's provision is daily. His provision is daily. In verse 21, it says, morning by morning they gathered. Then later on in the text, it says, and they gathered a day's portion every day. And what's crazy, what's interesting here is that even though he provided for them daily every day, we also see in the text God's grace and mercy because, as you notice, they decided to go out and keep some for themselves. When he said, hey, don't leave any left over. I'll provide for you today. 
They said there's something in there. They didn't trust him enough and said, mm, let's save a little bit. And then it rotten the next day. We even see that when he talks about the Sabbath, they went out even the next day to try to gather more, even though he already provided enough. It's a lack of faith and trust in who God is. But God's goodness and mercy that in spite of that, guess what? For 40 years, that manna kept coming. Thank God that we have a God that doesn't love us and care for us predicated off of what we do. Because if it's true, none of us wouldn't experience it anymore. None of us. Grace of God. How awesome that is. And what's interesting here is that when you look into the text, he sits over here and tells them about the Sabbath. And he's saying, hey, I'll provide for you on the sixth day. On the seventh, don't go. I want you to rest. And here's the thing, what he's saying, God created rest for a reason. And Jesus, who came to fulfill the law, is our rest, and we still should have Sabbath. A simple way to put it here is that when we trust in God's provision, we can rest. When we trust in his provision, we can rest. We live in a culture where we're like, hey, I got to get it, I got to get it, I got to get it. And we're tired. And the reality of it is, is that, hey, God didn't create us to go like that. But here's the beautiful thing. Let me wrap this thing up for us here. Now we see Jesus in the wilderness. Where do we see Jesus in the wilderness? Here's something to collect. Here, uh, to realize. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And then the text tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, he was led into the, excuse me, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. So do know, Jesus encountered the same thing that we did. But the only difference is that Jesus did what Israel and we could not do. He did not bite the bait that Satan tried to do. And Jesus did not grumble, but yet he defended and he held his own by holding fast to the word of God. Every time the enemy tried to come, he counted it back with, hey, here is what the word says. And you say, well, how do we see Jesus in the wilderness? Jesus, the bread from heaven. He's the one that talks about. He is the bread of life. Matthew chapter 6, you go read that passage there. He's trying to let them know, hey, 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 listen. The food that your, that your fathers ate, hey, that killed them. They died even though they're after that. I'm the true bread of life. Come to me and you will have eternal life and you'll never thirst again. But even if you go in there, somehow they kept grumbling. And they, they, the Jews grumbled because they're like, what is he talking about? Same thing we do. Hey, Jesus is our bread, is our lot, is our water. Hey, we can, he says, if you come and feed and drink from him, we will never hunger and thirst again. When you're in the wilderness, fix your gaze upon the glory of God. Fix your gaze upon his word. Look at him because his word tells us, hey, I will satisfy you. Hey, I'm going to take care of your physical needs, but I'm after the deeperness of your soul from your spirit. And then you sit here, and we've seen in chapter uh, 17 where they grumbled, and what Moses sits over here to do, he goes and strikes this rock. He strikes this rock. And really what I believe that this rock here is Jesus. It shows us, it points to who Jesus was. God said, hey, Moses, take this staff, go to this rock. Hey, I'll go before you. Strike it. And when he sit here, that staff, it represents judgment and God's power. He struck it at one time, not twice, and it flowed water from there. Jesus sat there and got struck by God's judgment and wrath for us instead of, instead of us being on that cross. But guess what? He died that death one time. And it's very something, little details. Notice the soldier pierced him in his side, and the text says what? Blood and water came from him. 
That's interesting he says that because we know that it says, why, 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 why put water? We know blood came in there. Hey, we know blood was shed for him, but the water came because it symbolized showing, hey, life comes from this man that just died on the cross for our sins. So I want to leave you with these words that when life gets hard, when testing comes and it doesn't feel good, we can hold fast to what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us to do. It sits over here and tells us that, but we have this jar, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. That we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body uh, of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You will cry, you will be hurt, but guess what? God is ever present with you. And we experience this treasure that is in us so that God's glory can be manifested. And I'm here to tell you today, you put your hope and your trust in Jesus. You focus on him because he took our place on the cross. Man, I cry because I see the goodness of God all in my life. But I also grumble a lot too. That's why we got to sit at the feet of the cross so we can be reminded of what God has done for us because he loves us. He loves you. And that when life gets hard, we can endure because God is Emmanuel. Jesus, 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 Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the goodness of who you are. Thank you that in the wilderness you don't leave us, you don't forsake us. Thank you that in spite of it, you provide a way out. So God, I'm asking that as we move here from the day, God, let us never forget the ever-present and the provision that you provide for us. Be with us as we go on our way, Father. Help us experience you, not just uh, theologically, but also practically. In Jesus' name, amen.